Hello everyone, I'm your host Luke, and this is my co-host Jared. How's it going guys? Um, and today we're doing Jack the Ripper. <laughs> so getting spicy today. We all heard of him, but um, you know, it's an interesting story and um, it seems like they've since time has passed, they found out some more um, new details as to who it might have been. True. And we'll go over that too. But um, first, we're going to set the backdrop of Victorian London. The Victorian city of London was a city of startling contrast. New building and affluent development went hand in hand with horribly overcrowded slums where people lived in the worst conditions imaginable. Population surged during the 19th century from about 1 million in 1800 to over 6 million a century later. Wow. The growth far exceeded London's ability to look after the basic needs of its citizens. A combination of coal-fired stoves and poor sanitation made the air heavy and foul-smelling. Immense amounts of raw sewage was pumped straight into the Thames River. Even royals were not immune from the stench of London when Queen Victoria occupied Buckingham Palace. Her apartments were ventilated through the common sewers. My God, that's disgusting. Um, <laughs> but, um, so the, the, how I mentioned the affluent part is, um, that's what made Jack the Ripper so intriguing is that's where these were happening is in the wealthy part of town. Mm -hmm. Not in the slums. You know, what the, shall we say, ladies of the night. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how they, let's, let's use that word. Because that's... Ladies of the night. Yeah. That phrase. <laughs> so now I'm going to kick it over to Jared for... The timeline. Yeah. Of, um, of the different events and how they kind of see how everything happened. And I could go into the full stories of them as well, but I'm just going to do a brief overview of everything that happened. From uh, So it starts in April 1888 at 1.30 in the morning. Uh, Emma Smith, a local lady of the night, is attacked by a local gang at a junction of Osborne Street and Brick Lane. As well as robbing her, they subject her to a savage assault. April 3rd, 1888, Emma Smith arrives back at her lodging house, 18, uh, 18 George Street, where the other residents, alarmed at her distress and injured state, persuade her to go with them to the nearby London Hospital. April 4th, 1888, Emma Smith dies of her injuries at the London Hospital. April 7th, 1888, the inquest into her death is held at London Hospital. The jurors return a verdict of uh, willful murder against some person or persons unknown. The first Whitechapel murder. Although she amongst, uh, almost certainly was not a victim of Jack the Ripper, she was the first name on the Whitechapel murder file that later included the murders by Jack the Ripper. So she wasn't murdered by him, but it was very close in that time period. So August 1888, another lady of the night, Martha Townbred, is found stabbed to death on the landing of George Yard Building. Um, August 31st, 1888. At 3.40 in the morning, the body of Mary Ann Nicholas, who was commonly held to be Jack the Ripper's first victim, is found at uh, 3.40 a.m. at Bucks Row Whitechapel. 
and then it jumps to September 1888, uh, September 1st through the 4th. Police began questioning the neighborhood's Lady of the Nights. Uh, they learn about a character who the ladies have nicknamed Leather Apron, who has been extorting money from them for the past 12 months. Uh, September 5th, 1888, the Star newspaper publishes a write-up on Leather Apron, which causes the first murmurs of anti-Semitic uh, Semitism in the district. September 8th, 1888, 6 a.m., the second Jack the Ripper victim, Anna Chaplin, is found uh, in the backyard of uh, 28 Hansburg Street. Uh, September 10th. 1888, uh, Mr. George Lux, uh, Lusk, uh, together with several other local businessmen, finds the uh, Mile and uh, uh, Vigilant, uh, Vigilance Committee, hoping to assist the police with their endeavors to catch the murderer. September 10th, 6 a.m., John Fizzer, who becomes Sergeant Thick, maintain, uh, maintains is recognized as Leather Apron. Uh, Leather Apron is arrested. He can, however, provide alibis for the two recent murders and is released. September 27th, a, a miss addressed to the boss arrives at Central News Agency. It is signed Jack the Ripper, a name which um, will turn the unknown miscreant into a world famous legend. Yeah, and I'm gonna read the letters. Ooh, nice. Yeah, so. uh, September 30th, 1 a.m., the body of Elizabeth Stride is found in Burner Street off of Commercial Road. Uh, September 30th, <clears throat> 1.45, a.m. The body of Catherine Edos is discovered in Merritt Square in the City of London. This means another police force, the City of, uh, of London Police, now joins the hunt for the murderer. October 1st, the police make Jack the Ripper a public letter. Um, October 6th, the Central News Agency re receives another letter that is signed Jack the Ripper. The police ask them not to make uh, this uh, missive pub uh, public. October 16th, Mr. George Lutz uh, receives a letter that is addressed from hell. It contains half a kidney, and there's uh, press speculation it belongs to Catherine Endos. Oh, my goodness. He sent them a kidney, the, the news company. That's unsanitary. I know, right? Um, November 9th, 10.45 a.m., 25-year-old um, Mary Kelly is found dead in her room, 13, Mil 13 Miller's Court, Dorset Street, uh, Spafields. She is believed by many to have been Jack the Ripper's last victim, November 9th. Yeah, so it is important to mention that there's five that were Confirmed. for for sure him, and then there's like, what, 20 or 30 um, that may have been him. Mm -hmm. But there's five that are at least... According to you officials, these for sure were killed by him. And the, I think, I'm just hypothesizing here, but they probably knew from the way that they were killed because Jack the Ripper had a specific, like, signature. He's very, like, he's like a, a, a surgical precision. Like, he knew what he was doing when he was, um, like, killing these ladies. Here, what, keep talking and get, give me a sec. Yeah, December 20th, 29-year-old um, Rose Millet, also known as Catherine... Millet and uh, Lizzie Davis was found strangled in Clark's yard off of a popular high street, despite the fact that several doctors who examined her body gave it as their opinion that she had been strangled. Robert Anderson was convinced that she had accidentally hanged herself, 
on the collar of her dress whilst drunk. Dr. Thomas Bond was therefore asked to examine the body and agreed with Anderson. However, the jury at her subsequential inquest disagreed and returned a verdict of willful murder against some person or persons unknown. Her death, therefore, was added to the Whitechapel murder file. So, um, this guy was a serial killer, right? Yep. But that term hadn't been coined yet. Mm -hmm. So, when did the term serial killer become a thing? It's a combination of things. And although it started in the 1950s, it began to ramp up between 1970 and 1999. There's a period of disorder and cultural sexual revolutions and something like 88% of all known 20th century American serial killers made their appearance in this three decade era. So like, this is what, 60 to 70 years before that term Even caught yeah. on, right? Yep. So. That that's important to know. Like they they would have just said this guy was a murderer. Yeah. You know. Now nowadays if they think there's a serial killer behind multiple ones, you know, they look for motivation, like they have a certain method of killing them and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, true. Uh July seventeenth, nineteen or eighteen eighty nine, the body of Alice McKenzie is found at in Castle uh, Alley off of Whitechapel High Street. Despite the fact that her injuries were less savage than those inflicted on previous victims, several detectives believed her to have been a victim of Jack the Ripper. September 10th, 1889, the mutilation, mutilated torso of an unknown woman is found beneath the railway arch in Pinchy Street. Although the press at this time noted that the torso bore similar mutilations to those inflicted on his victims by Jack the Ripper, the consensus among experts is that this was probably not a Ripper killing. Yeah, so there's, it might have been, but it probably wasn't. Yeah. So the the problem is, is that, you know, this was probably the story of the decade, yeah. right? So there was a lot of publicity, yeah, publicity, hubbub. media hubbub, whatever you a want to call rumors. it. Yeah. I mean, as we're going to go into in a minute, like these Ripper letters, mm -hmm. there were literally hundreds of these letters sent to the police, mm -hmm. and most of them were bogus or fake. Mm -hmm. On February thirteenth, nineteen or eighteen ninety one, the body of uh, Francis Cole is found beneath the railway arch in Swallow Garden. At the time, there was much speculation that a killing spent um, spelt a return for the Ripper. A sailor named Thomas or James Thomas Sadler was arrested, charged, and later acquitted of her mur murder. Today, she is not believed to have been a Jack Ripper victim. And that's um, pretty much all they have for the timeline there. And I, I, I think it's important to note that like this whole thing has kind of become like a, like just a part of at least Western culture and whatnot. Yep. You know, like Jack the Ripper as a just character has been, you know appearing in media all over the place like okay here's a random one jared do you remember um what was it uh soul um re remember where it's that manga anime where it's like they're like grim reapers or training to become grim reapers or whatever and soul eater yeah soul eater jack the ripper is in that mm -hmm. Like, um, he's in the very first part of the series, but like, 
Like, they, they don't show his face or whatever. He's become, like, a monster. Yeah. But, like, you know, it's all over the place. You know, yeah. he appears in Japanese kids shows. When you say Soul Eater is a kids show? Um, teenage, teenager, 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 yeah. You know, like most anime. Yeah. Like, sure, I watched Naruto as a kid, but, you know, people die in it and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it's, you know... At least teenager. Yeah. But um Yeah, that that that's just what I mean. It's it's become like that whole concept has been absorbed into the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like another what stereotype or it's like they almost romanticize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so why why don't we get into the letters? Mm-hmm. I have that open as well. Why why don't we switch off so that way it's less? There's like which one? I I, I, I don't want to go over all of them, but we'll we'll do like three or four of them. Yeah, I have a general overview of the letters. I could go and say yeah, each it's in that casebook website if you're. Oh. So the Ripper letters during the autumn of terror, hundreds of letters were sent to the police and local press purporting to be written by the White Chapel Fiend. Most of them were deemed to be fakes written by either newspaper men trying to start a story or fools trying to incite more terror. Many reparologists believe all of them to be hoaxes. Others, experts, believe some are genuine. I mean, I I think some of them are genuine. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you've heard of the Zodiac Killer? You know how he sent those encoded like cryptic messages. letters to them? Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like they want to get caught. Mm-hmm. And they want to be known for what they're doing. Yeah, but at the same time... It, not everyone, but like... I mean, like, this guy, I think, he didn't... I, I think all of these are fake. My, my own opinion. But I, I still want to go over them. Yeah, you don't think he was the one who wrote any of them? No, I mean... This is while he was committing the murders, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because, like, what was the date range? Like, a couple of months? Yeah, it was, like, just one year. And it was just, uh, like, there are five victims in right. that one year. I mean, like, there there was so much media hubbub, you know, mm-hmm. like, they... And it was in, like, a short period of time. That's why they called it, like, the autumn. is because it was, like, from August to, like, December, Right. So he killed like the the confirmed kills, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the confirmed kills. Yeah, like so his sign- that fit his signature. Right. So the dear boss lever letter, not lever. Lever. Pull the lever, Crumb. Pull the lever. <laughs> Wrong lever. <laughs> Received on September twenty seventh, eighteen eighty eight, at the Central News Agency. This letter was originally believed to be just another hoax. Three days let- later, the double murder of Stride and Eddowes made them reconsider, especially once they learned a portion of the latter's earlobe was found cut off from the body, eerily reminiscent of a promise made within the letter. The police deemed the Dear Boss letter important enough to reproduce in new papers and post bills. He looked up what a post bill, 1880s, hoping someone would recognize the handwriting. Postcard received at the Central News Agency on the 1st of October, making direct reference to both the murders and the Dear Boss letter is believed to have been written by the same hand. Um, whether or not the letter is a hoax, it is the first written reference 
Jesus is the name, quote, Jack the Ripper, in reference to the Whitechapel murderer. So, um, post bill? Post bill, kind of like a, um, a news post in the a newspaper. Like an editorial? Kind of, that's what it looks like. That's the only thing I'm finding. It's like the Saturday Night Evening Post, things like that, or Dime um, Network, uh, New York Library Post, things like that. Oh, I thought it was like a... I could be wrong, but that's just what it... When I looked up 1880 Post Bill, that's what it came up with. Hmm. Okay, so here's the Dear Boss letter. Um, Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I've laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on blank and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I mean, the guy's sick. Um, I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next... <laughs> just ha ha. Okay. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ear off and send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Um, keep this letter back till I do a bit more work. Then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. <laughs> so, yeah, there. Um, the question is, like, how many letters were there that were actually from the Jack the Ripper? With the passage of over 100 years since the Whitechapel murders, it's difficult to put an exact figure on the number of Jack the Ripper letters that were sent by ordinary men and women who found the allure of, of the murder murders difficult to resist and who egged on by a huge amount of publicity uh, being generated by the crimes developed an irresistible urge to interject themselves into the police investigation either by offering advice on how the miscreant could be brought to justice or else taunting the police by claiming to be the killer and telling them where he was going to strike next and what he would do next to his victim on august 20th 1888 the illustrated police news reported that the police had looked into the pre uh, prevalence of over 700 letters. Um, these can, of course, be broken down into letters that were offering suggestions as to how the murderer might be apprehended, or even information that might have been intended to actually help the police bring the killer to justice. Some of the missives were malicious in intent, the result, perhaps, of a neighborly or spousely feud. Many of them, maybe as many as 300, were prank letters written by people who saw the murder of the five East End ladies of the night as a hugely entertaining public melodrama in which they had to be a part of a bit um albeit in the majority of cases anonymously yeah i mean for all we know you know like maybe some of these alleged victims were copycat killers mm -hmm. that is a thing yeah um i mean they the five confirmed ones that were him were in a very very short period of time right so I, I think anything outside of that time is probably like a copycat killer. He probably wanted to disappear. Yeah, he probably did. And he was like, oh, I'm just kidding. 
the heat heat's kicking up, yeah. you know. So are you reading the next one, the saucy tracky postcard or um I could I'm you just on a read, different I'm on a different page. Yeah. Um so like the early letters on September twenty fourth, the closing day for the inquest into the death of Annie Chaplin, an unknown Arthur sent a letter to Sir uh, Charles Warren, a Metropolitan Police Commissioner. There is nothing that suggests that the police actually took this uh, missive seriously. Indeed, crank letters were common with high-profile cases that had received extensive press coverage. The significance of this letter, however, is that it was a uh, precursor to hundreds of such letters that would bring the police investigation into the Jack the Ripper murder so close to meltdown. The letter bore a London SE postmark and was headed on Her Majesty's service, it read. Dear Sir, I do wish to give myself up. I am in misery with the nightmare. I am the man who committed all the murders in the past six months. I am a horse slaughterer. I have found uh, the woman I wanted. This is Chapman. I have done what I called slaughter her, but if anyone comes, I will surrender. The letter contained crude illustrations, one showing a coffin and the other showing a knife, both of which were drawn in heavy black ink. Beneath the light knife, the letters Arthur had written, this is the knife I I done these murders with. It is a small hand with a large, long blade, sharp both sides. Interesting. Okay, so I guess I'm going to read all the letters because Jared's on the wrong page. But No, I, um, I have the letters here. I can read which one everyone I want. So now we're on the, you didn't read the saucy Jackie postcard, right? Uh, I do not have that one. Okay. So that one. This letter was received on October 1st, 1888 at the CNA. The handwriting is similar to that of the Dear Boss letter and makes direct reference to both that letter and the murders of the previous night. Um, so here's the, this time it was a postcard. I was not coddling Dear Old Boss when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. Double event, this time, number one, squealed a bit, couldn't finish straight off. Ha. What's with the ha? ha. Like, <laughs> what? Not the time to get ears for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again, Jack the Ripper. Interesting. Do you want to read the from hell letter? Oh, yeah. I could do that one. So this one is the from hell letter. From hell, Mr. Lusk. Um, sore. I set you half the kid kidney I took from one woman. I parsarved it for you. Two other piece I ate. Um, I fried. I ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that it took out if you only if you only water wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, uh, Mitchner Lusk. Um, and it was were you reading from the actual letter? Yeah. Oh, because I was like, there's a transcription right here. <laughs> yeah, no, I was reading the actual letter. Um, and so that's why I was like all misspelled and stuff. A parcel containing a foul-smelling piece of kidney with the letter. The handwriting um, of which is the same as that of the postcard Lusk has re had received a few days before. Interesting. So they, they are saying that these were all written by... The same person. The same people. Yeah. Or the same person. Yeah, they use, like, handwriting analysis. Right. Analysis. 
Yeah. And um, so Lusk's initial reaction, aside from cringing and disgust, was to dismiss it as another sick prank, and he presumed that the kidney was that of a sheep or some other animal. His doubts notwithstanding, however, he sought the opinions of other vigilant, uh, vigilante committee members, including the committee treasurer, Joseph Ahrens. As it transpired, none of them shared his opinion that the grizzly package was a prank. So When, when you were talking about a, a sick prank, for whatever reason, I thought of, have you heard of the sick licks? Nah. Recently, uh-uh. God, it's just a stupid TikTok. Where <laughs> people are like destroying bathrooms and stuff. Oh yeah, 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 for that. Okay, so the next one, October sixth, eighteen eighty-eight. This letter was received by a local paper and is believed to have been intended for either Israel Schwartz or Joseph Lewend, both of whom believe to have witnessed the Ripper and gave descriptions of the man they saw to the police. Um, few researchers believe this letter to be real. Why, why, why don't you look up the Ripper descriptions given by uh, Israel Schwartz or Joseph Lewend? Um, and here's the letter. You thought yourself very clever. I reckon when you informed the police, but if you made a mistake, if you though, I didn't see you. Now I know and you know me and I see your little game and I mean to finish you and send your ears to your wife. If you show this to the police or help them, if you do, I will finish you. It no use trying to get out of my way because I have you when you don't expect it and I keep my word uh, as you soon see and wrap you up. You're truly Jack the Ripper. P.S. You see, I know your address. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, what did you want me to look up again? I couldn't... Well, uh, I'll look it up. Okay, Um, because I do have uh, like a suspect list type thing and all the questions they're basically asking, like who was Jack the Ripper, a contemporary Jack the Ripper suspects, um, the police are looking for a lone assassin. Yeah, I I, want to get into at the end, uh, like who, like you put forward one suspect, one I'm going to talk about is Frederick Deeming. Frederick Deeming. Yeah, I don't have Frederick Deeming on my suspect list. Yeah, I don't know what your sources are. <laughs> they seem a, like shit. This is jacktheripper.org. <laughs> Walter Sickler, Charles Cross, Montega, John Druid. Aaron Komensky, George Chaplin, Thomas Cutbush, uh, Dr. Francis Tumblety, and James Maybrick um, are the suspects that they think on this one. Interesting. Yeah, because they're they're looking for someone who is like a lone assassin, someone who has like medical knowledge. Um, Was he a butcher or slaughterman? And... Did they? Did he live in the area? And so those are like the questions that they're kind of asking. Um, the number of Jack the suspect, uh, Jack the Ripper suspects, now runs well over a hundred. Some of them are highly possible contenders for the mantle of Jack the Ripper. Others are just downright ridiculous. Each year, several books come out claiming that the authors have managed to crack the case and have solved the world's greatest murder mystery. Some of them admittedly have managed to unearth fascinating little nuggets of information and in doing so have added a little extra piece of to the jigsaw. 
but the majority tend to twist the facts to fit their particular theory as opposed to looking at the theory and demonstrating how it stands up against the facts known about the case. Contemporary Jack the Ripper suspects in the early days, the police appear to have believed that the crimes were being carried out by one of the local gangs. Thus, their investigation focused on these so-called high-rip gangs. However, by early September 1888, the police had come to the conclusion that the local gangs responsible, the uh, publicity and panic that the murders had generated would have led um, one of the members to inform on the other. So they're basically saying, like, if it, if it was one of the gangs, someone would have informed on them or someone would have, like, told uh, someone else about that. And so by the time of the murder of Annie Chaplin on the 8th of September, the police seemed to have decided that they were in fact looking for a lone assassin and began seeking ways of bringing him to justice. There's a great amount of speculation that the killer demonstrated some amount of medical and or anatomical knowledge. Anatomical. Anatomical knowledge. Boo, boo, that. Um, to this end, the police began looking into the activities of several medical students who had spent time in asylums. However, this line of inquiry drew a blank as the movements of these students were accounted for and they were ruled out of involvement in any of the crimes. Um, others disagreed that the murderer was demonstrating any great degree of medical skill and uh, opined uh, that his abilities were more of that of uh, more that of those of a butcher or a slaughterman. Police therefore carried out extensive inquiries amongst those local uh, numerous local butchers and slaughterhouses, but yet again, nothing came of their investigations as the alibis all checked out, thus eliminating those interviewed as suspects. Throughout the hunt for the Jack the Ripper, police remained convinced that they were looking for a suspect who lived in the district. <coughs> and on their whole, the inquiries and investigations focused on the neighborhood where the crimes were occurring. Over 2,000 interviews were carried out by the Victorian police officers. More than 300 people were actually investigated and 80 were detained in police custody. Is it possible that Jack the Ripper was one of these? But none of, um, but none of the interviews, investigations, or detentions yielded anything concrete that enabled the police to point the figure at, finger at one suspect. They say he was, uh, and say that he was the Jack the Ripper. Ever since uh, the Jack the Ripper murders ended, suspect after suspect has been put forward after, um, as being responsible for them. Uh, Prince Albert Edward Victor, Lewis Carroll, the Freemasons, Dr. Uh, Baradino, and just are and are just a few of the more outlandish Jack the Ripper suspects to have been put forth. The Queen. The Queen. Because she's a reptilian. <laughs> Others such as Thomas Cutbush and Carl Figenbaum were put forward around the time of the murders. Discarded as likely suspects, they found themselves brought back into the frame thanks to modern research and their asylum records being open to the public. Our Jack the Ripper... Ripper uh, suspect uh, resources uh, present the cases both for and against some of the more popular well, suspects. In doing so, we'll be able to shift, uh, sift through the evidence and decide for yourself. Well, like, if they still had access to the bodies and the evidence, um, could they do, like, DNA? I mean, this is only from the 1890, you know, like 1888. Yeah, but do, do they even have any... Um, Evidence still around from the Jack the Ripper murders? They'd be have to like have like a T-shirt. Well, like he said, like organs and whatnot. Yeah, um, but the, those weren't his organs. Right. So where would they get the DNA from? Well, to match his like to the on the bodies of the victims, there might be residue. That it's probably contaminated, so it's probably been decomposing for such a long time. Yeah. And they probably, I mean, they never would have thought that. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, 
so now we're going to get to the first witness description. Um, it is Israel Schwartz. Um, most important witness to have seen Elizabeth stride in the three minutes before her body was discovered in Dutfield's yard was a Hungarian by the name of Israel Schwartz. He turned into Burner Street at around 12.45 a.m. Noticed a man walking ahead of him. The man stopped to talk to a woman who was standing in the gateway of Dutfield's yard. He was later emphatic that the woman he had seen was Elizabeth Strike. Since it's likely that Israel Schwartz witnessed the early stage of her murder, and is therefore possibly the only person to have ever seen a, one of his victims in the act of being murdered, his statement is worth close scrutiny, albeit he spoke no English and therefore gave his evidence through an interpreter. It is also worth noting that his statement to the police and interviews he subsequently gave to journalists do differ in certain details. However, the police seem to have taken him very seriously as a witness. So now we get to his statement. According to Schwartz, the man was about 5 feet 5 inches tall, ages around 3 with dark hair. Fair complexion, a small brown mustache. He had a full face, broad shoulders, and appeared to be slightly intoxicated. As he watched, the man tried to pull the woman into the street, but then spun her around and threw her onto the footway, whereupon the woman screamed three times, but not very loudly. He appears to have believed that he was witnessing a domestic attack, so he crossed the road to avoid getting involved. <laughs> I want nothing to do with it. Leave me to my yeah. business. I am walking over here. I see nothing. <laughs> As he did so, he saw a second man standing, lighting his pipe. As Schwartz passed him, the man who was attacking the woman called out, apparently, to the second man the word, quote, Lipsky, at which point the second man began to follow him. Schwartz panicked and began to run, and then managed to lose his apparent pursuer by the time he reached the nearby railway yard. So... I didn't know this. There appears to be an accomplice. Hmm. I've never heard of that part. Yeah, I haven't heard of that yet either. But the second man, Schwartz said, was aged 35, around 5 feet, 11 inches tall, had a fresh complexion, light brown hair, a brown mustache, and wore a dark overcoat with an old black dark hard felt hat. Everybody wore hats back then. I'm sorry, but if you look at pictures from the early 1900s... Everyone wore Yeah, hats. everybody wore a freaking hat. I would love a top hat. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Uh, presence of the second man is something of a mystery, as suggested to some that the killer had an accomplice. So who was the second man? However, the evidence seems to suggest the police traced the second man and eliminated him as a suspect. Indeed, in a report dated... October 19th, 1888, Chief Inspector Swanson wrote, quote, the p police apparently do not suspect the second man, although we do not know why this should have been. Since her body was discovered at 1 a.m., Schwartz's sighting of her would mean that Elizabeth Stride was murdered between 12.45 a.m. and 1 a.m. Uh, for two violent attacks to have taken place on the same woman, the same gateway in the space of those 15 minutes is too much of a coincidence. So there's a high probability that the man that Israel Schwartz saw was the man who murdered Elizabeth Stride. 
did you want to go over Joseph Lewin or did you want to did you have something else Joseph yeah. Lewin um, I have like uh, Charles Cross he's a potential suspect why, why don't I just do the so this is the second other um, witness yeah, yeah, and then yeah. we'll get into two possible identities of Jack the Ripper gotcha so Joseph Lewand was born in Warsaw, Poland, then part of the Russian Empire, to Jewish parents, Perch and Zural Lewende. He came to Britain in 1871 and was married to Annie Lowenthal in a London synagogue on January 22nd, 1873. His brother Leopold married Anne's sister, Fanny, the previous year. He and his wife would have 12 children. God, I can't imagine having more than two kids. At the time of his marriage, he was a cigarette maker living on um, at 310 Street South. On December 11th, 1876, he gave evidence to the Old Bailey at the trial of Isaac Marks for the murder of Frederick Bernard. He was described as a cigarette maker of 3 Lenten Street, Goodman's Fields. He had known Marks for a year as a customer of the Camperdown Hotel where he dined on Sundays and had also played dominoes with him. He gave evidence regarding the accused's strange behavior. Um, so here's his uh, main claim to fame that he supposedly witnessed Jack the Ripper again. Um, no, the other one was Schwartz. In the early mornings of September 30th, 1888, two murders attributed to Jack the Ripper took place. The second victim, Eddowes, was murdered in Meter Square that night. Lewand and his two companions uh, attended the Imperial Club in Duke's Palace. They were delayed from leaving by rain. After the rain subsided, they left just after 1.30 a.m. And uh, they began walking along Duke Street towards Aldgate, about 15 yards from the club at the narrow entrance to Church Passage, which led to Meter Square. They saw a man and a woman talking quietly. The woman had her hand on the man's chest. One would later identify the woman as Eddowes by her clothing, and he was later shown her clothing at the mortuary. He walked slightly apart from his two friends and was the only one to take any notice of the man's appearance, having glanced at him briefly. He described the man as being of average build and looking rather like a sailor, wearing a pepper and salt colored loose fitting jacket, a gray cloth cap from a matching peak, and a reddish neckerchief. He said that the man was aged about 30 with a fair complexion and mustache, being about 5 foot 7 to 8 inches tall. He did not believe he would be able to identify the man again. Um, Metropolitan Police clearly regarded Lewand as an important witness because they kept him away from the press. And at the inquest into Edo's murder, uh, city solicitor Homeward Crawford said, quote, unless the jury wish it, I have special reason for not giving details as to the appearance of the man. Of the, man. Uh, the coroner agreed and Lewand Merely provided a description of the man's clothes. Uh, Major Henry Smith of the city police 
I can't Leaf. talk. Yeah, I can't talk today. I'm sorry, guys. I, I can't talk any day, so it's and, okay. And Hughes area, Eddowes had been killed, was impressed by the fact that Lewend was disinterested in the previous Ripper murders and would not be drawn with leading questions. Smith believed him to be a credible witness, which, what, Smith was the lead investigator, I guess? I don't know. So now we're going to go into possible... Um, murderers yeah the identity so i'm gonna kick it over to jared yeah so i've been reading through um a few of the suspect lists i went through um i went through george chapman um i read walter sticklers and charles cross um but this one seems to be the most kind of i, I guess for me personally um a major uh, Jack the Ripper suspect is uh, Aaron Kominsky. Um, he was suspected by the two most senior officers on the case. Uh, Kominsky is a particular interest because in addition to McNoggant, uh, the two highest ranking officers with direct responsibility for the Jack the Ripper investigation also considered him to be a strong suspect. In 1910, Sir Robert Anderson, the commissioner throughout the murders, wrote in his memoir that undiscovered murders are rare in London. Um, that and the Jack the Ripper crimes are not in that category. I will merely add that the only person who had ever had a good view of the murderers, or murderer, uh, unhesitantly identified the suspect. Um, the instant he was confronted with him, he refused to give evidence against him, saying that he was a Polish Jew. I am merely stating uh, a, de a definitively ascertained fact. Um, although Anderson didn't name the suspect, it is apparent that he was referring to. Monoggins Kominsky, a uh, fact confirmed in 1987 when Chief Inspector Donald Swanson's copy of Anderson's memoir was made public. Swanson was an officer tasked with the set assessing all the information on the Jack the Ripper case, and a few people possessed anything like his comprehensive knowledge of the murders. He and Anderson became firm friends. Uh, when Anderson's memoir entitled, or, yeah, entitled The Lighter Side of My Official Life was published, Swanson received his personally owned inscribed copy. Swanson had made penciled annotations of Anderson's narrative, in doing so providing a little more information. Where Anderson's talks of a witness unhesitatingly identifying their suspect but refusing to give evidence against him, Swanson explains that this was because the suspect was also a Jew, and witnesses would uh, be the means of a murder uh, being hanged, which he did not wish to be left on his mind. He goes without saying... Or he goes on to say that the following disidentification, the suspect returned to his brother's house in Whitechapel where the police kept him under constant surveillance. A short time after the suspect was taken to Stephanie Workhouse, um, from there he was sent to Colonial Hatch Luna, Lunacy Asylum where, according to Mr. Swanson, he died shortly afterwards. Uh, Swanson ends with the empathetic statement saying that Komensky was the suspect. Who is Komensky? He is now known as the suspect in question was a man named Aaron uh, Morki Kaminsky, uh, born 1865, died 1919, Polish-born immigrant, father Abraham Co. Joseph Kaminsky was a tailor, an occupation that Aaron's brother Isaac would also take up. As far as can be ascertained, Isaac arrived in London some, um, at some stage between 1871 and 1873, where he became a successful, prosperous tailor. We don't know exactly when Aaron lived in London, but it may have been around 1880 and 1881. We know virtually nothing about Aaron's life in London. Later medical records state his occupation as a hairdresser, but it's also uh, stated that he did not attempt any work for years. Um, 
So, and there's also signs of mental illness. By mid-1890, he was displaying symptoms of mental illness. He's admitted to Mile and Old Town Workhouse. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. On the 12th of July, his address was given as 3 Scion Square. His stay on this occasion was a relatively short one. He's just discharged three days later on the 15th of July. He's readmitted in early 1891. His abode at this time was given as 16th Green Street, Greenfield Street, which was the home of his brother-in-law, who was married to Aaron's sister. This time he's certified as insane. On the 7th of February, he's transferred to the Middlesex um, County Lunacy Asylum. Um, the omission book gives his age as 26, his occupation as hairdresser. The supposed caused his insanity as listed as unknown, although self-abuse was later added. His nearest relative is listed as Wolf Abrams' brother, 8 Lions Square, Commercial Road, E1. Significantly, the omission book states that he was not a danger to others, which, is, which if there was a certainty that he had been Jack the Ripper, um, this would have been uh, something of a serious, of a major omission. Um, the omission book also lists the following facts about him, which are attributed to a medical man. He declares that he is guided in his movements altogether controlled by an instinct that informs his mind. He says that he knows the movements of all mankind. He refuses food from others because he's told to do so, and he eats out of the gutter for the same reason. The man has, uh, has issues. <laughs> um, so there, there's no conclusive proof as of yet, um, but that was like the lead detective's like lead and their main culprit that they thought. And so they were really, um, they were really set on Aaron Kaminsky as a murderer. And uh, he ended up going to an insane asylum in 18, uh, 1891. But they never charged him. They never charged him. Because the, one of the witnesses did, decided not to uh, basically assist with the They didn't testify. Yeah, yeah, they didn't testify against him because he was also a Jew. Aaron Kaminsky was a Jew and that other witness was as well. And so he kind of didn't want to, like, say. At least that's the, what they're thinking. And that's what the lead investigators have kind of put forth. Yeah. So is that your whole profile on that guy? Yep. That's the one who I think is probably the closest um, suspect. Um, okay, so this guy's name is Frederick Bailey Deeming. He's a suspected London's 1888 Jack the Ripper murders. He murdered his wife and four children in the English village of Rainhill in 1891. He murdered a second wife in Windsor in Melbourne just five months later. His crimes made him internationally notorious and, quote, the world's most hated man. Um, so, um, they call him the greatest criminal of the century. He was a murderer and a swindler, and he slashed the throats of two of his wives and uh, killed four of his children. Which, uh, God. Um, new research suggests deeming may have also been Jack the Ripper. Um, um, what is it? So they have a picture of him. Uh, just looks like an average... I mean, he has a top hat. He has a pretty good size uh, mustache. He's wearing a long overcoat. And, you know, like he looks like a stock photo for a... Um, Victorian guy 
Um, he had spent decades roaming the planet and preying on the innocent and gullible before being captured and hung by Australian authorities in May 1892 following the discovery of the decomposing body of his second wife, which... Going from Victorian London all the way to Australia, I mean, that's... In the late 1800s, that's pretty... It's very extensive traveling. Yeah, I mean... Wow. Um, but they're saying this guy was him. His murder trial in Melbourne included claims by deeming that his dead mother's ghost regularly woke him at night, urging him to kill the woman he loved. The trial was front-page news around the world and saw more than 10,000 people celebrate in the streets on the morning of his execution. Jeez. Because they have nothing better to do. Um, Public fanfare. By then, suspicions were already strong that he was a culprit behind Jack the Ripper. Um, Quote, the belief is gaining ground in official quarters that the murders of which Deeming is now known to be the author were the same as those committed in Whitechapel. Um, That was in the New York Times. Um, So who was he and why should we take him seriously as Jack the Ripper? Uh, His life began in much as the same way as it ended. Um, Shroud and superstition and his religion and science collided in one of the most momentous upheavals of the 19th century. His father, Thomas, constantly swung between black moods, a fierce temper, and a chorus of voices in his head. He regularly beat his son um, and believed one of their homes was haunted. He also attempted to cut his own throat with a razor on several occasions. Um, His brother would describe him as a passionate man and went out of Temper had no control over himself. He was a favorite of his father. Um, so, following the death of his mother, he took to sea to escape his father's regular beatings. Um, but as the years passed, his brothers watched him grow increasingly insane whenever he returned to the family's broken head home. Dubbed Mad Fred, he sported a large, light ginger mustache that tumbled over his lips like a theater curtain, wore expensive jewelry, and often dressed in formal clothing as if he was attending a funeral. He could often be heard talking loudly to himself, once claimed to have seen his mother's ghost floating outside his window. Um, And what was this guy's name again? Frederick Deeming. Frederick Deeming. Um... He was never far from trouble. He spent six weeks in prison in Sydney in 1882 for theft and several years later was jailed again for contempt of court after defrauding customers and failing to pay a string of bills. So here's why I don't think he's Jack the Ripper because it just says he was in prison in Sydney, Australia in 1882 and then he was hung in 1892 back in Australia. Mm -hmm. I mean... Why do you decide to go from Australia to London? And then you become a high-profile murderer and then go back to Australia. Just to be hung. Yeah, I mean, what... Like, he his life was 
very established in Australia, from yeah. what I'm reading few details here, you know? Yeah. On the on this site that I'm on, um, on who on jacktheriver.org, it has a voting area that you could vote for. Aaron Kaminsky holds the lead right now at 16.5%. And then uh, Frederick uh, Deeming holds the vote at 0.55%. So, so it's very low. Yeah, it's very low for. Frederick and these are people that have done a lot of research. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. to me, it makes no sense because he was in Australia. Yeah. For that's where all of his crimes were committed. Yeah. But kind of sounds like he was like insane. Yeah, just like Aaron Kaminsky was as well. Yeah, but you know Jack the Ripper. He obviously got away with it. Yeah, no, there's no, like, actual case that went against him. And barely anyone even saw him, mm -hmm. if that was who they were seeing. True. Two witnesses. Um, after his release from prison, Deeming adopted a new alias and took his family to South Africa, where, by several accounts, he staged a series of scams worth tens of thousands of pounds and claimed he to have contracted syphilis from a, yeah. He later returned to England with a lion cub at his side that he boasted he had saved after slaying his parents with his bare hands in an African cave. But he's constantly on the move. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Jack the Ripper killings were over months, mm -hmm. you know, over like, like six months period. it seems like he was constantly in trouble and... Yeah. Um, so yeah, the he he married a Australian woman in early eighteen ninety. I mean, he he was constantly on the move. He wasn't staying in. Yeah, Victorian he, London. He was moving I, around I, a lot. I don't but even sounds, believe this. It sounds like it was more so he was uh, moving around I mean, around it sounds Australia. like he was a terrible person, but he wasn't Jack the Ripper. Yep. Yep. So the culprit responsible for the murders of five ladies of the night all took place within a mile of each other. So it was all within like a very small area. Yeah, it was in the heart of the city. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whitechapel, Spitfield, at... Aldogate in the city of London. Um, the London's East End in the autumn of 1888 was never apprehended. Despite countless investigations claiming definitive evidence of the brutal killer's identity, his name and motive are still unknown. The moniker Jack the Ripper originates from a letter written by someone who claims to be the Whitechapel Butcher published at the time of the attacks. Yeah, so... So the actual name Jack the Ripper came from the letter that might have even been fraudulent. Right. So, at least... So we're going to end this with... Um, once again, who knows who he was. It's, mm -hmm. As time goes on, the case is going to get colder and colder. Mm -hmm. um, but if you Google who was Jack the Ripper, most likely, the top name is Aaron Kaminsky. Yep. He was, according to a Juddy in the Journal of Forensic Sciences, the man known as Jack the Ripper is likely Aaron Kaminsky, a 23-year-old barber of Polish descent who lived in London at the time. So, who knows? Yep. I, I don't know. But it was uh, 
thank you guys for listening to us. This has been your host, Luke, and my co-host. Jared, hope you guys learned something new about Jack the Ripper and enjoyed the podcast. Yeah. And hope you guys have a great day. Yep. Peace. Peace out.